Welcome to Fried, the Burnout Podcast, Season 5. The goal of each Fried episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, Fried fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and Fried adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, Fried fam! Very exciting news for you today. Today, you get both myself and Sarah, my number one coach at Fried. You get both of us on the podcast today. And in a couple of weeks, you're going to get a straight from Sarah episode two, where you get to hear her personal knowledge and her tips and tricks and all the things that she has to offer, because we really want you guys to understand how valuable she is and start to hear her and feel her and know that you can count on her when you need help. So in today's conversation, we've been talking about what we're going to talk about and what we need to say. And there's been a lot of things that have come up in the Facebook group recently. And you guys, the Facebook group is like 750, 800 people. We are a big community at the moment and we are continuously growing. And there's a lot of really great conversation happening in there. So if you have not joined us yet, please make an effort to do that. The link will be in the show notes as per usual. And now we're just going to get into some of the things that came up in the Facebook group over the past couple of months. We're not using anybody's names. Don't worry. But we are going to talk about some basic things that came up because if we're talking about it there, if people are asking her questions there, that means that those are the same questions that everybody out in the universe that's listening to us now. I just said universe is listening to us. Yeah, I went there. Um, everything that you might be wondering about too. So hi, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> so glad you're back with me and hanging with me. Ditto. So glad I'm here. Yeah, Sarah and I got on today and we were both putting chapstick on preparing for this conversation. So we are like very in sync Watch today. Out. So, be, so be careful. Back up, people. We're here for you. Safety first. Lips are moisturized. <laughs> so right. one of the things that came up was you did a, a series of videos. And if you guys have missed these videos, please go find them in the Facebook group. You did a series of videos on empathy, how to handle emotions, what it's like to be a healer, how you create space for yourself. When you were making those, were you thinking like, oh shit, this is stuff that I've learned that people really need to know? Like what was going through your head? Well, I actually decided to do it because I was wondering to myself, what are the highly sensitive burnt out folks struggling with? Like I know what I struggled with, but what are, what are in general people struggling with? So I posted the question in the group and so many people responded with all sorts of different things, but there were themes. There were definite themes within what they were saying. And when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what? I didn't know I was highly sensitive when I kind of started burning out or it wasn't until I started burning out. I think it came to me, you know, yeah. it was brought to my attention. And I was like, I'm noticing that the, the, the themes fit the characteristics that make people highly sensitive, like the That's defining right. characteristics. So I was like, how about this be, I'm answering the questions, but also kind of giving some more information that people might not have about themselves. They might just know that they're highly sensitive, but they don't really know what that means. Like what, makes them highly sensitive. And also, um, what do you do about it? Cause yeah. it feels like a problem, especially when you're burnt out. Yeah. When, yeah. when you're overwhelmed all the time, you feel like nothing will prevent the overwhelm, but there are some things you can do to start to carve out time for yourself, set boundaries, all the things that we've already been talking about. They just need a little tweaking for those that are highly sensitive. 
Yeah. So I read something recently, somebody's uh, Facebook post that I sort of agreed with, and I've, I've been thinking about it for a few days. So this has been on my mind that, um, are we using highly sensitive as a spiritually bypassing term for just being neurodivergent? Now, I don't think that we're spiritually bypassing because we are talking about the fact that it is a difference and that it needs to be treated differently and that it needs different attention. So I'm not accusing us of that necessarily. But do we need to simply say that being highly sensitive is part of being neurodivergent and and like, let's just face that fact? Is that important? Well, it's interesting because Elaine Aaron, the author of The Highly Sensitive Person, who did a lot of research on this in order to decide, you know, 15 to 20% of people are highly sensitive and we're just wired differently than the rest of humanity. She does she says that we're not neurodiverse. That's not how she would put it. Yeah. Well, she because she clearly says, like, this is not a diagnosis. Right. This is a completely like different way of being wired in your nervous system. But isn't that what neurodivergent means? Maybe it does. I don't know if we know the definition. I mean, so one of the things that I've also come across is like, um, like adults that have undiagnosed ADHD. Yeah. A raising hand emoji. Right. The symptoms of that very similar to someone who's highly sensitive and not managing it. Yeah. Right. And also bring this up in, there's no mention of it in um, Elaine Aaron's book, but um, a couple months ago, I guess, after I kind of went on the, the, the first podcast episode with you, right. Introducing myself, I was like, let me take this highly sensitive person quiz again. I'm just, I can't remember what the questions are. Let me see what it is. Did it again and thought to myself, wow, a lot of those questions sound like symptoms of chronic sympathetic overdrive. Right. So how is that different than being wired as a highly sensitive person? Yeah. And does being a highly sensitive person and not managing your needs just set you up for getting to that place of sympathetic overdrive and especially chronic sympathetic overdrive, which just means chronic stress. For those of you who don't know that word, it sets you up for chronic stress because it's like you hit your stress threshold quicker because you're sensitive and you don't have as much maybe time and or uh, like resiliency, especially after time of not meeting your needs, not giving yourself space to process so that you get to like that, that stress place faster and faster, which means you're going to burn out faster and faster Yeah, because you just don't have it in you. Yeah. So this is multi-layered in my opinion. I don't have, I haven't read anything that talks about this. Yes, this is just based on my own personal experience and my own processing of what it means to be highly sensitive, what it means to be chronically in stress mode and eventually in burnout. Yeah. And I don't, you know, so... I mean, we only know what we know, like, that's fine. You know, we, we don't, we're never going to have all the answers. And to be honest, the neuroscience that I share on the show is just the current science as we know it today. Like in 20 years, we're probably going to be saying very different things. And I'm totally okay with that. So this is a, let's take a moment to give everybody a reminder that it's totally acceptable and okay to know things as well as you know them today and then learn something new tomorrow and have that also, or have that be truer or more true or newer or updated information. Because especially when it comes to burnout, there's a group of people that have researched it for about 40 years, but there's a lot of gaps in the research. There's a lot of holes that haven't been filled. There's a lot of things we still don't know. So if you heard something on an episode, you know, six months ago and you're like, ew, I don't think that's right. You might be correct. Like, that's fine. Let's, let's just go with that. But it was an interesting thing when I read it and I was like, well, I guess if what she's saying is that we're wired differently, then that is a, that is a a neurodivergence. And we didn't really know how to say, we didn't, we weren't calling anything neurodivergence when her book came out. That wasn't even a thing. Right. No. So that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot mixed into that. But one thing that I think is really critical about your work in particular, and something that we talked about, gosh, I want to say, I feel like I wasn't in the States yet. I feel like I was still in Prague. 
and we were talking about you sort of titling yourself as the healer for the healers and how it brought up something in someone that said like calling yourself a healer is like being egotistical and how I went, I, I wrote a thrive global article. You can probably still find it. It's called the audacity of calling yourself a healer. And I basically tell everyone to fuck off <laughs> because you can absolutely call yourself a healer. If you've ever hugged someone and it made them feel better. Like I'm cool with that. That's the basic premise of the article. But I remember talking about that such a long time ago and you were talking about doing it in a coaching capacity. And then there was like a lot of up and down. Then there was burnout that happened sort of after that. So there's been a lot of up and down since that moment. Do you think that as people that choose healing professions, if we're going to avoid the word healer, just for, for fun, if we're going to look at people that choose healing professions, do you think that we have a tendency to be more highly sensitive than the rest? And do, do we need a different level of attention because we are constantly in that position of being a caregiver without the caregiver title, because we don't have somebody under our care 24 hours a day? Yes, I do. I do think that highly sensitive folks tend to want to help. And I, I think that's because of the heightened empathy that people tend to feel. Yeah. And so you, when you are sensitive to what other people are feeling and the research in this book says that <clears throat> they proved that we have more empathy. It's like parts of our brain were lighting up in, in the highly sensitive that we're not lighting up in the not highly sensitive when viewing pictures of people who are in distress, for example, it's right. just like, boom, it's happening whether we want it to or not. So when we are uncomfortable watching other people be uncomfortable, we want to help. So that natural urge is there. It's built in. It's unavoidable kind of in, yeah. for a lot of people. For, I mean, it felt like it was for me. But yet, because we are not um, like, it's not a common topic for everyone in humanity, in our culture, especially to, to, to know what it means to be highly sensitive, let alone have like, a space set up for the highly sensitive to get their needs met differently than the not highly sensitive people. Yeah, well, we don't have space for people to get their needs met if they're othered in any way. And that's, this is right. the problem of all the isms. This is the problem of everyone that has to mask in any way, shape or form in order to exist. So this is everyone with a neurodivergence, everyone with an othering characteristic of any sort. Right. And I definitely feel like I've always been one of those people, you know, always yeah. on the fringe. I never, I've never understood why people do what they do. Kind of the masses. Like I, I definitely feel like I'm on the outside watching being like, I don't get it. Like yeah. that is not how I want to operate. It's not how I can operate. Yeah. There's so a lot I of talk about authenticity, but in order to be authentic, the space that you're being authentic in has to be safe and we are not really great as a community, not the fried community, the fried community is incredible, but we're not great as a community in general, as a culture in creating psychologically safe places for the majority of people. We are really good at creating psychologically safe spaces for the elite. Right. Well, speaking of, um, when I was thinking about what we were going to talk about, one of the things we talked about was like having high aspirations yeah. and how that can be really detrimental, especially when you don't have boundaries in place mm. or realistic expectations for yourself and what you can actually do. And speaking of safety, like I, I recognize that, like I was kind of told early on, like as I was entering college, like the way to be safe is to be financially free. Mm. Make sure you have as much money as possible and do it in a way so that you're not actually working that hard, which sounds great. Passive income or whatever, be an owner that you've you know, delegated things to. Yeah. And I loved that idea. It sounded great. But I, was ne I never actually was resourced enough to put myself in that position. Okay, so wait, back up. What does that mean? That I wasn't resourced enough? Yeah. Well, I chose a career that 
Well, this is what it looked like for me. I chose a career that exchanged time for money. Hmm. Given treatments for a certain amount of time, they're paying me a certain amount of money. There's only so many hours in a day you can do that. Right? So there's a limit <laughs> on how much money you can make in a certain amount of time. Yeah. But then I have this idea, you know, there's passive income, there's this and that. I was like, well, I could hire people as an acupuncturist and have people work for me and have that bring in some income. But I never felt like I could actually, I had the money to even attempt to do that. Mm. I could probably take out a loan, but I already had so many student loan, student loans that I was like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah. You know, I'll just do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) But also I was, I, you know, kind of decided at some point I was wired with this hyper-independence. I'll just do it on myself. I can wear 17 hats, right? Especially if it's going to save me 12 cents. Right. So, you know, partially, you know, maybe some of this lack of resources was my own doing and partially it's just the place I started from. It's a combination of things, but I, I I was thinking about this this morning that like, yeah, wow. I, I had big aspirations and this desire, but I didn't have, I didn't recognize that I didn't have what it took. So I set myself up for failure with these huge expectations, but I never actually looked and ask myself, is this realistic for my? Is this really what I want? And is it really what I want? One, it wasn't. Right. Because <laughs> I've since defined success for myself and it is not that. Right. And I think defining success for oneself is a huge, very important thing, along with values. Like, here are your values. What does success mean to you? So you know you're aiming for the life that will feel good to you. Yeah. Redefining success everybody is something that happens during for pretty much everyone that comes through either of us as a client, because you cannot, I don't, I really don't believe that you can keep yourself out of burnout long-term if you're not really clear on what it means, what success means to you. And if you're not okay with coming back to that description on a fairly regular basis and updating it with new stuff. So that's where I got stuck with aspirations that I, my aspiration was create an amazing acupuncture practice, like be really successful at it. I did that. We are naturally wired to adapt to pleasure. And this is on purpose. It's a survival mechanism. So we search out more and more pleasure. And that is in order to ensure that the population continues in order for survival. Like there's all these reasons, right? So we adapt to pleasure and to, uh, there's a word in Polish that's dobrobit. And it means like, just like general, like having enough abundance, goodness, you know, all of this sort of all in one word. And so you adapt to that really easily. And then you need something more and different. Well, I didn't allow myself to need or want something more or different because I met my markers of success and then stopped. So I did get there. So these are opposite stories, right? You're like, my success levels were too high and couldn't meet them because I didn't have the resources for various reasons. And I'm saying I did get there, but then I didn't continue. And that's what held me back. And part of why I didn't go further, first, I didn't redefine success for myself. And second, I didn't hire anybody. So we're back to this hyper-independence idea. This is something that came up in the Facebook group recently. I love the word hyper-independence. It's definitely something I have been accused of on various occasions in my life. (laughs) So I've definitely been accused of that. But this hyper-independence for me was when I was thinking about hiring a receptionist for an acupuncture practice that was seeing 60 to 80 people a week and had a three month waiting list, the only thing I could think about was how much they were gonna cost me. I didn't understand at the time that I was going to gain from having them, both financially and time-wise. I didn't understand that math at the time. So I kept doing everything by myself. So I had, like I said, 60 to 80 patients a week, 
I was working in my office by myself. I was answering all the meal emails. This is way back in like 2009 or 10, something like that, where there was no such thing as like acuity and Calendly and online schedulers. So this is every single person that you're scheduling is either calling you, texting you, or emailing you, most likely all three at once. Right. And so I was doing all of that. I was doing all the treatments. I was doing all the cleaning. I didn't even have a cleaning lady. I had a cleaning lady for my apartment, but I wasn't paying anybody to clean my office. So I'm scrubbing bathrooms after I see 80 patients a week. It destroyed me. Right. Yeah. What is the hyper-independence? How does it come up for you? Um... Some of the similar, like, well, similar, but different in that, like, I wasn't recognizing that investing in someone would be a benefit. I was just seeing it as a loss. Right. But also I've always felt like I couldn't ever work enough to really get my head above water. Like I, I like the uh, turn, I think it's kind of the way I'm wired. I can't see that many people. Yeah. I, I give a lot. I want to spend time with people and I wasn't charging enough for what I was giving to make it work. So I was charging the like same amount as an acupuncturist who would just throw needles in and leave, but I was doing massage. I was doing acupuncture. I was doing coaching, coaching them. I was giving them a lot of like attention and, and like lifestyle suggestions and all sorts of things, but I wasn't charging accordingly. So that was in the way, but I was also doing the same thing. I was doing all the admin. I was doing the insurance billing. I was cleaning. I was, you know, I don't know all the things, all the hats. Yeah. I don't even want to think about it right now. <laughs> I'm like there were more hats, but I don't even. Sarah's want to eyes just like spun in opposite directions for a second. Right. And that sh- it shows up there, the hyper independence, but it also shows up in my life. Like I, I, what's been coming to the surface recently that I'm still working on, but it's very on the surface is like something something gave me the idea early on in life that like, I will not get what I want. So I shouldn't even ask. Oof. Shouldn't even try. Can you say that again? I won't get what I want. So I shouldn't even ask. God, that hurts my soul. Yeah. It's tough. Like, I don't know where I got it. I got it somewhere. And it has influenced probably most of my decisions in my life. Yeah. And kept me going and going and spinning and pushing and not letting my partners that I've had over my life help me. Like, even with, like, chores, cooking, whatever. I just have always assumed it's all my responsibility. Yeah. Because I'm not going to get the help that I want. So why ask? So why bother? Why even bother? And so it, it, it would, I was that way for patients too. I wanted to help them. It was coming from a place of, I didn't know it was coming from this place at that time. Right, right. This right. is like new information that's like surfacing. Yeah. At the time I was just like, I just want to be as helpful as I can because I don't want to see people in pain. I don't like seeing people in pain. I also yeah. wasn't aware at the time that it was uncomfortable for me to watch other people be uncomfortable. And I was really preventing my own discomfort, trying to prevent or get yeah, rid let, of Yeah, Let me adjust this for you so that I don't have to look at your discomfort. Right. If you feel better, I feel better. Mm. Hello, codependency. <laughs> <laughs> we have an episode on that too. Please search for Melanie Moberg. <laughs> right. Take a look at your knot, how to manage your own knot. I mean, when I read that in your book, it floored me. Yeah. It floored me. So to me, it's interesting because the like hyper-independence, you think it would be like, you're only focused on your own knot. Right. But it's like hyper-independence, completely not at all looking at your knot, not even once. And not letting anyone else look at it either. Right. So when I was at a workshop recently for speakers, I went down to Orlando and and there's this weekend workshop and it was for the National Speakers Association. It was so fun. I love that group of people um, and I love being in that community. And so we're doing, again, there's like a workshop and we're working on messaging, 
You know, like how often through the years, Sarah, since we've both been independent business owners for 15, 16 years now, right? How often have you done a workshop where you're like working on your messaging? That you're like, you know, I mean, we've done, we must have between the two Every of us. We, yeah, like we must have done always. it 200 times constantly. We're, we're always doing this, right? Making sure we have the right words to find the right people, to get them the right things so that we're serving the people we want to serve and, and earning the money we need to earn in order to not burn out. And so the, this is whole cycle. So we're doing this exercise again. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh God, I've done this exercise 400 times. But this one was a little different. And I was like, all right, I'll play, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll play and I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's not my exercise and it's not mine to share. But one of the things that I realized for the first time in all these years of doing burnout work, this is what year five now in all these years, I didn't realize that the thing that really gets under my skin about burnout and the reason I really want to help people flip it around, the thing that really gets me is self-neglect. Hyper-independence is often self-neglect. Yep. Self-abandonment. That really self-abandonment. Just a couple of weeks ago too. It was actually listening to one of the fried episodes. Yeah. It just was like, wow. It really is. I mean, self-harm. Yeah. For me, it didn't manifest physically. Like we think of like physical harm, like some people, you know, cut themselves or, you know, they take drugs, you know, whatever, like whatever happens that becomes a physical harm, but it ended up to be a physical harm because burning out is very physiologically damaging to the body. Yeah. Mind and spirit. I mean, yes. yeah, it's truly holistic systemic disease yeah. or condition, even yeah. though whatever, they're not defining it as that it no, is. I know. <laughs> and so this, this idea of self-abandonment, I've talked about a lot. I talk about it in the book. It's that's what the knot is about. That's that whole concept. But when I, I said the word neglect, it seemed more intentional to me. Like it, and I was like, Oh God, this is why it bothers me so much because I watch people neglecting themselves, neglecting their needs. It's really hard to fill your cup. If you don't know what the hell you need or want or desire, or prefer. If you've been around fried for a long time, you know that I use these four words together all the time. Wants, needs, desires, preferences. Wants, needs, desires, preferences. I use all four of them because all four of them are important. And I am not saying that every single want, need, desire, preference you ever have has to be met. That's not the message. But you do need to know what they are because it is impossible to fill your cup if you don't have this information. But when you neglect yourself and when you abandon yourself on a regular basis, it is impossible to have access to that information. Right. I'm still practicing this. I didn't even know how I liked tomatoes sliced. Right. I'm talking about basic preferences. I'm not saying the big overarching themes of your life. I'm saying I didn't realize until I was 37 years old that I really prefer a thinly sliced tomato on a sandwich so that it doesn't move around as much. I have a reason for it, (laughs) which means I do know it somewhere. Right. But I was making sandwiches one day and because my husband would typically cut a thicker slice, I went and cut a thicker slice. And then I was like, wait, I'm making the sandwiches. I can do it the way I prefer it. And when he makes them, he can do it the way he prefers it. You're going to make my sandwich for me. I'll take a thick slice. That's fine. But when I'm making the sandwiches, I don't have to make them according to his desires. Unless he specifically says, oh, Katie, I really hate a thin tomato. Like, cool, I'll cut it. I'll cut, but then still <laughs> on my sandwich, the one I'm making for myself, I can still thinly slice the tomato for my sandwich. 
Right. I was just talking to my coaching client about this yesterday because she was feeling the exact same thing. Yeah. And it took her like getting divorced and, and, and being alone to be like, I mean, she said she had this desire. She goes, I'm going to do whatever I want. She has like a, you know, put her foot down. Like yeah. I'm, I'm getting divorced. I'm going to do what I want. And then she goes, what the fuck is that? I don't know what that is. Yeah. And she's like, you know, light bulb goes off. Like, right. At least she at least got that. Like she hadn't been doing what she wanted and she wants to do what she wants, but like had no clue what that is. Yeah. And I still, I, I have trouble with it. My, my partner's like, what do you want to do this weekend? I'm like, I wish I knew. And I try to think about it. I try to think about it. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. That's what I'll do. But it I don't know ahead of time. That's something that I've learned about myself. Marcin likes to plan things ahead of time, but he's really okay changing plans. Like if he plans something for a Saturday and it doesn't happen, like he doesn't care. But I used to let him plan something and then force us both to do it because he made the plan. <laughs> and now I he'll ask me on a Friday, like, what do you feel like doing this weekend? I'm like, why don't we just wake up tomorrow and see what we're in the mood for? Let's see what the weather is. Let's see what we feel like doing. Like, let's see what so much freedom in that and waking up and being like, what am I in the mood for? Right. That's easier. Yeah. So I don't plan ahead anymore. Right. Be like truly tune in in the moment and be like, what do I want to do? Yeah. The only thing that we do ahead of time now is like obviously plan vacations. That's one part. And then if there's like a show coming or something that we really want to see or really want to go to, then we will book a ticket. And even sometimes we don't end up going because we're like, "Mm, that sounded like a good idea when we bought the ticket. (laughs) But the freedom, I would have never allowed myself to do that earlier in my life because of money. Because you can't waste money like that. If you committed, you have to follow through. And now I'm like, I would pay myself that amount of money to stay home. <laughs> so. Right. Oh yeah. I've, I've definitely overcommitted to a lot of things, not like doing too many things, but like too much commitment to things that don't deserve it. <laughs> that is definitely a part of this whole picture. Fucking let it go. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> yes. Well, this is, that's interesting. I never thought about overcommitment like that. As soon as you said the word overcommitment, my brain went to like a very full calendar. It didn't go to that concept that you just mentioned that I really just, I loved that of like, just being like, no, I must do this thing because I'm committed to this thing. But this is the first step of the resentment journal, right? Like if you find out your resentment, you have resentment about something. The first question is, does this thing actually need to be done at all? Like, let's re-examine your commitment to this thing. Is it valuable? And when I'm working with entrepreneurs, pretty often we find out that like, you're just repeating something that you've been doing for six years just because it doesn't actually need to be done. When we're talking in, in corporate settings, a lot of times the same thing happens. I'm like, is this actually valuable? Is this getting anyone anything? Right. It's just sort of like a system that's in place. So you just keep going with it. Yeah. Rather than- should like, are you still folding your children's clothes and they're like 10? Like, stop it. Are you still like, are you in a system where you're continuing to support someone or something that should require less of your support now and you can start pulling back? I'm not saying it's going to be easy to be clear. Right. However, if I had a, a client years ago, I was still in Prague. So this is four years ago or so. And she was like, it's just, you know, I have to pick out my daughter's clothes for the next morning. And I was like, wait a second, back up. I said, isn't your daughter 12? Do do I remember that correctly? She was like, yeah. I said, why is your 12-year-old daughter not picking out her own clothes? When we really started talking about it, it turns out that she's so concerned with what her daughter looks like that she doesn't want her daughter to choose her own clothes because she's afraid of being embarrassed by her daughter. And so our work was not just stop picking out your daughter's clothes, but how do we unwind this need to 
leave your daughter as a very codependent extension of exactly who you are. Let your daughter be judged for herself without that being a direct reflection on you. Like the, she's 12. Stop it. Are you still making your kids breakfast? And they're like 13 years old. 13 year olds can fry an egg. Seven year olds can fry an egg or pour a bowl of cereal. Like, oh, you want their breakfast to be perfect. So you're slicing up melons and like punching out like how a fl- heart and flower shapes. I almost said fart and howard shapes. <laughs> I like fart shaped fruit. I mean, fart shaped fruit is a thing. <laughs> right? Like, are you still doing that? Is that really necessary? Do you need to be Pinteresting yourself to death in order to be successful? So now we're back full circle. For me, it's about integrity. Like mm-hmm. I have integrity is really important to me. And so I, if I commit to something and I go back on it, to me, that would look bad. It would look bad. And I, it, people would say, she doesn't have integrity. She's a flake or whatever it is. But mm, don't and, and you so think that, it's such a bigger lack of integrity to go along with something that is aligned with you. I know that now. Okay. Okay. I know that now, like when I come at it from that angle, I realize, Oh, I want to seem like I have integrity, but hello. I had my, my bucket was leaky. Very, very leaky. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted integrity, but I was giving like all of me away that there's, there's no integrity in that. No. And I ended up with leaky gut because of it. Hello, microcosm, macrocosm, like (laughs) emotional, physical. Yep. (laughs) What has been something that you've done about this hyper-independence? I'll give an example first just to kick things off. So I've been married now for since 2007. And right now, as we record, it's 2022. So we're on our 15 years of being married this year. And I had the amazing pleasure of witnessing it. Yes. (laughs) Sarah drank a lot of vodka at my wedding in Poland. I sure did. (laughs) It's true. Vodka flows like water when you're in Eastern Europe. (laughs) It does. It does. And so about nine years after we got married, we were living in Prague. and. Marcin, as he always does, whenever he makes tea or coffee, he looks at me and says, do you want tea or coffee? Just automatically. And that's how his, that's how he was raised. That's what his family does. It's a very, just an automatic question. And I would typically say no, because I'm going to do it myself. Especially when it came to coffee, because he goofed on me once for wanting too much cream and too much sugar in my coffee. He's like, that's not coffee. It's dessert. He was just goofing. But I took that so personally that I was like, well, I'm always going to make my coffee by myself so that you can't judge me and I can have the coffee the way that I want it. And you don't know how to make the coffee the way that I want it. So I'm just going to do this thing by myself. It was nine years into our marriage when he was like, hey, can I make you a coffee? And I was like, you know what? You can. And he said, okay, how do you want it? I said, more cream and more sugar than you think is reasonable. And he (laughs) laughed and he made me a coffee and it was perfect. But it took me nine years to allow him to make me a coffee and tell him exactly what my preferences were instead of just doing it myself. And he asked for nine years. Most people would have given up by now. Love that man. You got to love him. (laughs) Right. That's... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still doing this in a variety of places in my life and recognizing it. Um, but what was your original question? Where am yeah, I? What are you, what are you what doing? Done about it? Yeah. I have asked my partner or I've just told him and I'm not good at it, but I don't want to cook as I'm not good at asking, but I do not want to cook as much. I don't have it in me. I don't have the same like natural desire to like cook right now that I did for a long time, which might've been pressure that I didn't recognize, but I'm just like, I don't want to do it. So I'm like, please cook when you want to cook. Um, 
So I just had to make like a blanket statement about it. Yeah. But then there are times where I'm like, I am not up for cooking tonight. Can you, or should we order something? Yeah. You know, where it's Instead just like, of being like, I don't feel like cooking, but we have to eat something. So, and I know you're at work, so I'm just going to do it. Right. Yeah. I would have just forced myself to do it all. Yeah. Anyway, whether I wanted to or not kind of thing. So, you know, I guess that's an internal boundary, right? Yes. I'm honoring where I'm at. <laughs> I'm saying I can't do this. What's the alternative? Yeah. And you're giving multiple options. Either you can cook or we can order something, but me cooking is officially off the table because right. I'm not doing it. Right. So, I mean, I guess a part of, it was kind of interesting, like I recognized how much I want to do for him. You know, I was trying to help him in a variety of ways around the house, you know, and to me, like cooking and cleaning is a part of that, helping him, helping us, whatever. But even mindful of like self-care things I thought he would be doing, should be doing and various things. And, you know, when I was like realizing how burnt out I was and taking a break, I told him, I'm not going to be doing these things for you. And it's going to be really hard for me, but I'm not going to do them. And it isn't because I'm, I'm like, I love you any less, but I am going to take care of myself now, <laughs> you know, like declaration to me. So it's interesting. Cause it's like, what is that? That almost seems like hyper-independence, but like we just said, you know, the hyper-independence right. just to being the opposite result of like ignoring your knot, but in order to turn towards my own knot. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I became more independent in a lot of ways, but actually truly independent instead of codependent. Right. So yeah. it was weird to be like, Oh God, you know, I feel so selfish and like, I'm only focusing on myself and like, that's overwhelming. Yeah. In its own way. Um, but yeah, it's what has allowed me to then say like, what is it that I am feeling? What is it that I need and be able to ask for it? Yeah. Yeah. Meet it yourself, ask for it, whatever happens to be. Acts of service is definitely my love language, both in, um, in receiving and giving. Mm. So this is an interesting one for me because I like doing those things, but what I notice is that, and this is, again, you, everybody knows that my favorite emotion is resentment. It's not a secret around here anymore. <laughs> this is where I use resentment. I have caught myself being like, oh, I want to do this thing. And then being like, oh, I'm actually pissed about this right now. So it snowed recently here. It's we're recording. It's March 16th. This will come out later in the year, but just recently it snowed. And it wasn't enough snow to really, it wasn't going to last, but it was going to freeze overnight. It was going to be stuck on the car and we were going to, we're heading to row at five o'clock in the morning. So getting in the car and waiting for it to melt, it was, if we didn't clean it off at night was going to be annoying. And I wanted to do that. And I was proud and excited to be like, I cleaned off your car so that tomorrow when we go, it's easier. And like, that's going to be nice. And I felt really good about that. But had I felt resentful about having to clean off the car, I wouldn't have done it anymore. But mm. five years ago, I definitely would have still done it. And then in the morning been like, didn't you notice that I cleaned off the car last night so that you don't have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like I would have been a total dick about it. But now I've gotten to the point where that resent, like that resentment piece is so critical for my own personal recovery that I, when it pops up, that's when I know that I actually don't want to give right now. And that's okay because I do still give often. I like to give. I'm a generous person. I want to be generous. So I have to protect my boundaries and my energy and my time as much as possible so that when I feel like being generous, I can do it with joy. If I feel resentment, it's a no. Because otherwise, I'm really happy to give people things. This is my like... I want to kind of flip the script on the people-pleasing thing. Like, I don't want people to be people-pleasing, but I still want you to be able to be generous if that's your nature. So how do we protect your generosity? We protect your generosity by paying attention to if you're doing something and it breeds resentment or not. Right. Those rules for helping that you wrote in the book. Yes, I got those from 
Lillian Pearl Bridges, who passed away last year, a very dear teacher of mine, and they changed my world. Do you want to go over them? Yes. They're in my notebook. I took notes on this from the Bounce Back Ability Factor. It is actually page one of my Bounce Back Ability Journal. I love it. Because it is that important. (laughs) Because when I read them, I was like, oh my God, I suck at this. (laughs) It was like, same sister, same. I got these rules from her. She sat me down in Rothenburg at an acupuncture conference and she gave me a face reading and she gave me these rules. It was 2015. Are these for earth element folks? Uh, I think, I think, I think that yes, they have that tendency, but that's not what her intention was that day. Not for you in particular. Okay. Rules for helping. Should I go just run, run through them, run through them. Number one, help only when asked for specific help. Ouch. If I see someone who looks like they need help but aren't asking, I can ask, how can I support you right now? And see if or what they reply with and if they actually want help from me. Holy wow. Yeah. Because I was offering all the unsolicited advice (laughs) that I possibly could because I thought I was helping. Yeah. But I never once thought about how I was like disempowering them to identify their own needs and ask. Yeah. And that's the last thing I want to do. Right. I do not want to disempower someone. No. No, no, no. That is, that's like, it's just like, it hurt my heart to realize that's what I was doing. Mm, yeah, me too. Number two, help only when I have the time in my schedule already. Or if it requires moving things around, be sure I can do it with ease and desire. I used to move all sorts of things around in my schedule constantly for my patients. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, I can't come that week. And I'm like, well, I want to give them a treatment. They need a treatment next week or it's going to like, they won't, they won't get better. So I better make sure. So I'm going to make this priority for them instead of. Right. Them making it I for was themselves. taking responsibility for their health outcome instead of giving it to them. How exhausting is that? It's Very exhausting. So exhausting. And I didn't realize, I mean, I did realize it. I knew it, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop for until yeah. I, until I literally couldn't go anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One more rule. Number three, help when I have a true desire to give, which is exactly what you were talking about. If any resentment or desire to get something in return comes up, don't tell. If you're waiting for a thank you, if you're waiting for reciprocity, I hate when people are like, this relationship, I'm not getting the things that I get. I'm giving too much. I'm not getting things back. Yeah, maybe, but reciprocity doesn't always work like an, an A to B, B to A situation. Sometimes I give you a bunch of stuff and then I get a bunch of stuff from somebody else. But if you don't have any faith in the fact that that energy is coming back to you, or if you're already pissed that you're losing the energy, stop giving it. If you do not want to gift whatever it is this person is asking for, don't. Because otherwise you're giving them a loan and you're waiting for a payback that you may or may not get in the form that you may or may not assume. And then when you do get a gift from somebody else, you won't even appreciate it as much because you don't understand that all this stuff is working together. Right. She killed me with those rules. I think I died when I read them. like like I my I just remember my like my whole all of my insides just like sunk yeah I was like I am not doing any of these things I sat there when she was saying it and I don't even know if those were rules that she told other people or whether they came spontaneously during our session and I just remember sitting there looking at her like this is going to make me a horrible person and she was like no it's not and it has made me a better person it's made me a more supportive friend a better listener. It's made me a better person. Now you guys just listen. There are of course, exceptions to the rules as per usual. There's always, if there's rules, there are exceptions. 
The exceptions are if you see an emergency and somebody needs emergency help and they cannot tell you anything because they are unconscious, you don't drive by and say, oh, that's not my not, like not my business. Like we're not trying to te- treat, you know, transform people into uncaring uh, people that don't pay attention to the world around them. The other exception to this rule is like severe uh, children and or people that are in your care that don't have the ability to speak up for themselves, right? F- okay, fine, jump in, do what you can do, of course. So there are exceptions, but I want you to take those rules to heart. You might just really save yourself a lot of time, energy, disappointment, frustration, resentment, just by following those rules. It's really important. Sarah, I don't know if you realize, but it's been almost an hour. How's that possible? And it is time to wrap up because I know you have a call coming up shortly. So I want to stop. I just want to take this moment to say thank you to you because you guys I do my prep when I have a guest for fried as much as possible, but I do a lot of these episodes by riffing. I talk about what's on my mind. I listen to people, I ask questions and I let it flow and I let it be what it is. And that has been working. So I go with it. Sarah likes to be more prepared. And I asked her today to just fly off the cuff with me and she showed up and she did it. And I think that there's so much value in what we just recorded and I can't wait for you to get it. And I'm so grateful that you were able to just play with me here and create something amazing for our listeners, our clients, and all the people out there. So thank you. You're welcome. It's flowed easily, so that works. See, you got to trust. There's got to be a little trust. And it yeah. was useful that I had processed some of these things for right. me. <laughs> right. of, yeah. Because these are, you know, they, these things have been so influential for me, these realizations in my life. And I, and I don't know if everybody needs this, but me, I'm, I'm attributing it to my sensitivity. I'm, I'm realizing as I was making these video videos for y'all sensitive folks out there, like I need to process deeply. I process deeply. Yeah. If I don't have time for that, like, it's like, it's not okay for me. Yeah. So when these things come up, like I have to sit and write about it and kind of think about it and percolate on it and integrate it into my life. It's like, yeah. I do a whole, a whole thing with it. And, uh, and then I can usually talk about it pretty easily. <laughs> I love it. Got me at a good time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, fried fans, we're wrapping up another episode and we're so glad that you're here with us and we hope you come hang out with us in the Facebook group. And should you need either of us, You can book calls to become our coaching clients because that's the most fun and the fastest way to get yourself to the other side of burnout, to be honest. And that's it. May all good things come your way. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.